Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. I want to celebrate, first of all, um, this morning because we had an amazing weekend last weekend. And if you guys weren't here, you missed out on um, a great time. But the good news is that the church goes on. But I do want to share some awesome wins for us for last weekend. We had our first... Uh, what we now can call the annual Easter extravaganza. You guys were like, are we having another one? And I kept telling people, let's wait and see how this one does, and then we'll figure it out if we're going to have another one or not. But we had, we had 900 people that we were able to serve at our Easter extravaganza last week. We were able to, drop, we were able to have 7,600 Easter eggs for those babies to hunt up. And uh, next year, we're going to make sure we have some more uh, eggs for the babies, because apparently that was an all-out brawl, and those, some babies came home with two eggs, some ca- babies came home with a black eye. I don't know, y'all parents need to watch it. But it was great, it was, our, um, it was, it was a wonderful event, it was put on, and um, our primary purpose for that was that we would connect people to Sunday mornings to the church, because there's still a lot of people in Estill County that don't know Summit View is here at the fairgrounds. They wouldn't think that a church could actually be at the fairgrounds um, and when you think of the fairgrounds, you think we're out in that cattle stall, but we're not. But also, last Sunday, it was our first time executing two experiences. So we opened up a 9.30 a.m. as well as the 11 because we wanted to make room for people to come in. And I want to share with you guys, last weekend, we reached 233 people in this room for the gospel and was able to share the good news of Jesus with them. While you're clapping, we had over 20 first-time guests, and we had four people that made decisions for Jesus last weekend. I think that's pretty, pretty incredible. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, decisions, decisions. So based on just a wide variety of studies here, including uh, Cornell University, you know, on average, an adult makes 35,000 decisions every single day. And in fact, 267 of those decisions are just about food, like opening the door of the fridge and closing it and then coming back five minutes later hoping something is new, open it and closing it. 267 decisions just about food, unless you're a husband. And then you've got 500 decisions about food because the answer to where your wife wants to eat is always, oh, anywhere until that somewhere is not okay that you choose. And so you have to make another decision about the second place that she didn't want, even though anywhere was not on the menu. Of course, I don't have to deal with that. My wife is a saint, and of course, she, she's so decisive, right? Like, she's, so, she's not here, but I'll brag on her. She's so decisive. She's not at all. I don't know the last time she chose where we were eating She didn't, and that's why we're gaining weight, because she would have chosen a better place than me. But that 267 decisions just about food, 35,000 decisions a day. I almost slipped up there, said a cuss word, not quite, edit that off the podcast. That is 245,000 decisions a week. 
To put it into better perspective, that's 12,775,000 decisions per year. Almost 13 million times per year we come to a crossroads that we have to make a decision between, between taking one road or the other. And your life is going to be the sum total of the decisions that you repeatedly make over time. So if you will this morning, let's look in Mark chapter 4, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your device, your phone. If you don't, that's okay, you have your message notes. I encourage you to take notes on uh, the message notes that you have in front of you, and also you can read the verses on the screens behind me. Mark chapter 4, verse 3, starting in verse 3, going through verse 8, says this, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Guys, if you don't feel outside, it's beautiful. Springtime is finally here. Maybe we made it through our six winters. Maybe it's going to stay this time. All of the trees and the plants are blooming. All of the pollen is flying through the air and making me feel like garbage. I don't know about you guys. But spring is here, and I have a confession to make. I am terrible at tending plants or flowers or keeping a garden. Like, I, like you know those people that have a green thumb. Well, I have the black thumb. Like... I'm kind of like the mafia hitman for plants, right? I'm, I, if you want your plant dead, all you got to do is call me. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of your plant. I'm going to take care of your plant's family. I'm going to take care of your plant's genus. That's a science joke. They're, they're all going down if I take care of your plants. I mean, like, I've, known, I've been known to, uh, to kill succulents, nature's unkillable plant. I have killed two of them. I have a black thumb, and I'm the worst at tending to these plants because giving it the right amount of water, of sunlight, of nutrients in the soil, just not my forte. And so I've never, ever tried to start a garden because I know that I would have zero success. It's just not my spiritual gift. But if I had a garden... It would be completely junked up. It would be messed up. It would be grown up. There's weeds, there's thorns, rocks, you name it. And it's going to be in that garden. So one of my biggest pet peeves in life is just, and it's funny that this is today, but one of my biggest pet peeves in life is just a jumble of cords. And so this morning we came in as we were setting up and found out that some animal had jumbled up all the cords back there. I don't know what kind of insane person did it, but it happened. And, and, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves. My dad used to call it a rat's nest. Like, maybe that's why I am the way that I am. i got to have the cords straight. I've got to have them in lines because my dad would, like, ground me if my cords on my TV and stuff were out of place. He's like, you're not going to have a rat's nest. Now, he's a military guy, so, of course, that makes a lot of sense. But if you leave your cords alone, like you can 
place them like perfectly, right? You just roll them up, you do, and you leave those cords alone, you're going to come back and it's always going to end up a tangled mess. Like I don't know who does it or how it happens. If there's like a monkey that breaks in while I'm sleeping and just tangles all my cords up, I don't, I don't know what happens, but I can leave these cords in perfect condition. I come back to them the next morning and they are just a tangled mess. See, I've had this cord up here for quite a few minutes this morning. And you know what I've noticed is that it hasn't yet started to untangle itself. Like it's sitting there, it actually might be getting more tangled, but it hasn't yet started to untangle itself. And in fact, I have yet to see a tangled cord that when it's left alone begins to straighten itself out. Because the default setting of a cord is always tangled. It's always going to end up being tangled. And just like that, the default setting of our hearts is always going to be chaos. And it's always going to be unwise decisions. That's just how life is. That's how, we're, that's how we are as human beings. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Above everything else, guard your heart. Because it's the, the tendency of your heart is to drift toward bad. To drift toward chaos. To drift toward unruliness. To drift toward unwise decisions. See, your heart is like a garden. And in fact, here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus relates our heart to different types of soil. And some have, some of the hearts have weeds, some have stones, some have thorns, some of it is shallow, but some are good soil. Some are, they've got all the things that they need, all the right stuff in them and keep all the bad stuff out. But if our heart is left untended, we're always tuned to making bad decisions. See, good decisions only happen through intentional effort. Good decisions take effort. But I'd also like to reset our paradigm this morning, the way that we, that we think about this. Instead of us concentrating this morning on making good decisions, I would rather us shift ourselves to start thinking about life, about making wise decisions. Because I don't know if you guys know this or not, there, there is a, there's a place where you can make a good decision, but it's not the wise decision. Like some things are okay to do, but it's not the right thing for you at the time. The Bible says that all things are, are uh, expedient, all things are possible, but not all things are profitable. Meaning, there are some things that you can do that maybe you just shouldn't do. Maybe the time's not right, or maybe you should just not do it altogether. So I want us to shift our thinking from, okay, is this a good or a bad decision, to is this a wise decision or is this an unwise decision? Because the condition of your heart is going to be determined by the types of decisions that you make. And a well-tended heart requires wise decisions. So this morning I want to look at three wise decisions that we can make to keep a well-tended heart, all right? Number one, number one, you can write down, stay focused. Stay focused. Like tunnel in, 
find something. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27 says this, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thoughts to the path for your feet and um, for the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. See, you've got to have something in your life that you're, you're working toward. The Bible says this, that where there is no vision, the people will cast off restraint. That means like where, where there is no vision in your life, there's nothing that you're focused on. There's nothing that you're, that you're dialed in on. Could you, could you imagine what um, a football game would be like if there was no markings on the field? How would you know, where to, how would you know when you're going to score? Like where do you, where's the goal line start? Where does it stop? Where's out of bounds? There's nothing to keep you centered, to keep you focused. Or like what about a basketball court with no hoops? How do you know when you score? You can't because you've got nothing that defines a win for you. And that's, that's what happens with a life without a personal vision. A life without a vision that you're pushing toward, that you're driving toward, is like that football field with no markings. You've got nothing to focus yourself in on, so of course you don't know the win for your life. You feel down, you feel defeated, you feel left out. You know why? Because you don't even know what, air, what way you're supposed to be going. Your life has to have vision. Personal vision is such a very powerful factor in your life. The Bible tells us so. We have to have a personal vision for our life. In fact, I believe that you should have at all times a vision for your life, a vision for your family, a vision for your career, um, and a vision for your ministry, what, where God wants to take you. Sometimes they, they, they combine with each other, right? But you should always have a vision for yourself, a vision for your family, a vision for your ministry or your career. Always, you should be working towards that because you need to define what's the win for my life. Like, like what, it, what, what does a score look like? What does a goal look like for me? You have to, that's the only way that you can stay focused in your life is if you define the win first. You have to have this vision. And so, um, but the good news is like you, you might be thinking, well, I don't really have much. But, you know, God has a specific plan for your life. God has a very specific plan for you and for me and for each one of us sitting in this room and listening to this later on. God has a very specific plan for your life. And he's given you everything that you need in order to accomplish it. He's given you every single thing that you need in order to live this vision that God has for your life. What he calls us to is to discover that vision. God's already put it there. He's already put your gifts. He's already put your talents. He's already put, put your personality in place. Our job is to mine for the gold. Our job is to discover the vision that God has put for your life. And so that's the whole point of pathway here at the church. We have one of, one of the four main things that we do here at the church. We only do four things. Okay, we're very simple. Like, just very simple. But one of them is Pathway, and we do it every single month. We do it on the first Sunday of every single month because I believe that it's important enough for you to discover your unique individual purpose for your life because you cannot live this life to the fullest without first discovering this purpose that God has put inside of you. 
You've got to mine it out. You've got to start having those conversations. Or else your life is just, you're going to keep on walking and it's going to be like you've, you've got blurred vision. God wants you to focus in on what he has for you to do because there's something, there's somebody in your life that only you can reach because God has made you to be the only person that can do it. There's something in your life that there's, there's some task that can only be accomplished through you And you're the puzzle piece that fits this grand image that God is trying to create. And so I'd encourage you, next week, hang out for another couple hours after the experience is over. Let's have a conversation about the personality that God's gifted you with, the gifts, the talents, the passions, what God has given you, because I really, really, really would love for you to discover your purpose so you can start living this life to the fullest. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, but I have come to give them life and life abundant. Here at the church, we have one vision statement. We have one mission, and that is to lead every single person to experience what we call life on high. And that will never, never happen until you start focusing in on what God has for you. You've got to stay focused. Number two... You've got to choose joy. The second wise decision that you can make for a well-tended heart is that you would choose joy. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God desires for your life to be filled with joy. That's why I make so many jokes here at church. And they fall flat because you're not filled with joy. No, I'm just kidding. They might fall flat. I don't know if they're good or not. Just Tom Kirby says they're all right, but he may just, whatever. He's just a good friend, maybe. My wife thinks they're good, so you know how that, (laughs) that goes. But God desires for your life to be filled with joy. In fact, your church experience should be one that you enjoy week in and week out. If you're not enjoying coming and gathering with people that are, that, that are at Summit View Church, we got to figure out why. And if it's just because, hey, this isn't for you, guys, I'm friends with so many pastors in this community. I would love to hook you up with a pastor that you can go every Sunday and be filled with joy as you serve in that church and as you serve your community through that church. But hey, I think some of you is a pretty fun place. But I want you guys to, to, to view this as a celebration, guys. Sunday should be a celebration, not a funeral. God wants us to be filled with joy. And even more than that, after Sunday, Monday through Saturday, God desires for our lives to be filled and marked by joy. And it is intentional that I said here that we need to choose joy Because joy is a choice. Joy is different from happiness. See, happiness is something that can be dictated by my circumstances. But joy is something that always has the ability to exist, no matter what circumstances I'm going through. See, there's this guy in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, his name is Paul. And, and Paul was someone that I would probably classify just as a, as a very joyful person. Like, he never let his life dictate his feelings. So there's, there's many times throughout your whole New Testament, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll find so many times that Paul was whipped 
or beaten, or thrown in prison, or shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, threatened with death. You name it, he probably experienced it. But the thing about Paul was his perspective. See, they'd threaten to, to throw Paul in prison. He'd say, oh, would you? Would you throw me in prison? Then I can preach to the guards. I can preach to all the prisoners, and I can lead them to Jesus. They're like, well, we're not going to take you to the prison. We're just going to kill you. Oh, would you kill me? Because then I can just be with Jesus, and my life is going to be great. They're like, well, we don't want that. We're just going to, we're just going to, we're going to leave you alive, and we're going to cause you to suffer. He said, would you? Would you just leave me alive? Because that way I can continue to preach and fulfill this mission that God has called me to. No matter what they threw at the guy, there was no loss for him. It was all a win because continually Paul made the choice of joy. He made the choice. He chose joy in every single circumstance. You know, there's this really famous Bible quote that we love this verse that we love to quote, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love to put it on our shoes, on our wristbands. We love to think about it when we're about to go into the gym. I'm going to get a new max today because I can do all things through Christ. But truly what, what Paul is writing about when he writes that, he said, I've been in a place where I've had a lot. I've been in a place where I had a little. And no matter where I was at, I was always content. I was always filled with joy. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God wants your life to be filled with joy no matter what you're facing today. No matter how hard life is and can get. No matter what circumstances or situations come against you. You still have a choice to choose joy and not let your life define your feelings. Your emotions are meant to be indicators. They're not meant to be dictators. They're not meant to lead your life. They're just meant, they're meant to complement your life. The, your emotions are great. God designed them and put them in place, but they were never meant to be your master. And that's what happens is when we start letting our emotions lead the way, we start losing joy. Because joy, we're no longer choosing it. Our emotions are choosing how we feel. So I'm angry today, I may be happy tomorrow, and then the next day I might be sad. And, and, I might be, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but we can't let them be the dictators of our life. We have to make the choice, no matter what, I'm going to choose joy. The Bible tells us that we should be a people that are led by the Spirit of God. If you call yourself a Christian, which means a little Christ, your life should be led by the Spirit of God. And you can't be both Spirit-led and emotionally driven. They can't coexist. It's either one or the other. We can be led by the Spirit of God, or we can be driven by our emotions. And there's going to be a day where, they have to, where they're going to come into conflict with each other, and you have to make the choice to choose joy. You've got to make the choice to choose to be led by the Spirit and not driven by emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a choice. And your life is going to be so much more fruitful and your heart is going to be so much more clear if you choose joy in every situation. And then finally, number three, Forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. The Bible tells us that we should forgive quickly. Matthew chapter 18, 
verse 21 through 22, says this, And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? That seems like a good number, right? That's like a whole lot. How many times should I forgive him? Seven? And Jesus said something crazy. He said, no, not, not seven times, but 77 times. The translation there can be accurate, more accurate that Jesus was actually saying 70 times seven times. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, no. Don't stop at seven. You should keep forgiving and keep... See, forgiveness is one of the most powerful tools that you can possess in life. And the interesting thing about the type of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about here is that he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't put a qualifying factor on his forgiveness or on the forgiveness that we're supposed to offer for people. He doesn't dictate that we forgive only the people that deserve it. He doesn't say that we should wait to forgive someone until they apologize to us. He doesn't even say that we should only forgive people if we're sure that they're not going to do it again. Or that we're sure that they're not going to hurt us again. Jesus doesn't qualify it. The implication of this passage is that Jesus is saying that we're supposed to be a people that offer unlimited forgiveness to the people in our lives. Even if, it, even if it's the same thing over and over and over and over, not seven times a day, but 77 times a day. Now let me tell you what forgiveness is not, okay? This is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's not necessarily a one-time event when we're forgiving people. It could require you to remind yourself daily, I've forgiven them. I'm laying it down. These emotions start rising back up. You start feeling hurt all over again. You say, no, you know what? I'm laying it down because I've forgiven them. It's not a one-time event. Forgiveness is not a magical event that erases the pain. It can still hurt and be okay. It can still hurt and you can still forgive. Guys, that's going to take time. Sometimes we're having to work through years of trauma. And it's not going to happen all at once. But forgiveness can be a process. Another thing, forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is actually you reclaiming your strength, reclaiming your power. Forgiveness is the strongest thing that you can do. That's what forgiveness is not. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is when I refuse to let your harmful actions toward me dictate my heart's position towards you. Forgiveness is when I refuse to let your harmful actions towards me dictate my heart's position towards you. No matter how many times you've done it, probably going to do it again. Our heart should be in a place of quick forgiveness. We've got to lower expectations of people sometimes and just like... Not that, 
not that they're going to do worse in life, but that you're, you're going to require less from them. Because people are imperfect. We don't let perfect people in these doors. Forgiveness isn't even for them. Forgiveness is for you. Like you're hanging on to that hurt. But, but you're not giving them power when you forgive them. You're reclaiming the power that you lost when you held on to the bitterness. I heard it put this way, that living in unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Your heart is being poisoned by bitterness. It's being poisoned by unforgiveness. And God wants to clear it. He wants your heart to be tended well. He wants it to be clear and open and free. And it has to be a heart that quickly forgives people. See, heart uh, forgiveness is going to give your heart clarity where there was fogginess. Bitterness will weigh you down, but forgiveness will set you free. Forgiving someone is probably forgiving someone that's hurt you is probably the hardest thing in my opinion that Jesus asks us to do is to love our enemies like how are you supposed to love how are you supposed to love somebody that constantly has it out for you that constantly is trying to get you in trouble at work or the family member that is constantly trying to rehash the past over and over and over to let you, to remind yourself of the time that you failed how are we supposed to love them and forgive them probably the hardest thing that Jesus asks us to do but it's in multiple places in your New Testament, which means in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that means that multiple of those writers thought that it was important enough to mention that there was a time that Jesus said, hey, you're supposed to love your enemies. You're supposed to forgive them. And the really great thing is that a subject that's important, as important as this, God saw fit to actually line it out for us and give us, give us steps that we can take in order to forgive someone. Gives us steps that we can take in order to love our enemies. It's great. It's a great passage. For years I struggled with unforgiveness towards people that had harmed me. And then I run across this in Luke chapter 6. And I thought, thank you Jesus because I couldn't do it on my own. And he lines it out for us. And so in order to forgive people, in order to forgive quickly, Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6, the first thing that we should do is we should do good to them. Do good to them. The easiest way to start this process is to tangibly do good for someone that has hurt you. To tangibly do good for someone that has it out for you. Pay for their meal. If you see them behind you in line, pay for their meal. Walk up to them, give them a gift card. You might have to dodge a punch, but give them a gift card. Give them, a, give them one of them greenbacks, you know what I mean? Give them some of that cash money. Say, hey, I want to bless you with this. I, f- I feel like God wants to bless you with this, and he's asked me to do it. Do good to them. 
It's gonna be hard. But the only thing that will hold you back is your pride. And that's the first thing that we've gotta kill in our relationship with Jesus. Because pride says it's all about me. But Jesus said it's no longer about me. We gotta do good for them, set them up for success. That's the first thing. Second, in order to forgive someone, bless them. You're like, doesn't that mean the same thing? To bless somebody in the Bible, in biblical ways, was it was a verbal um, pronunciation of success and favor over their life. When someone get, is blessed, it's always a verbal blessing in the Bible. And so, something that you can do in order to forgive quickly is bless them, say good things to them, and say good things about them when they're not around. Like, that hurts though. I know, but it's a process that you've got to do. Stop talking bad things about them. Start speaking good things. Start looking for the potential in their actions. See, we always like to judge other people by what they did, but judge ourselves by what we meant to do. But you got to start speaking good things about them. You got to start speaking good things to them. And then the this is the the cherry on top and it won't work without this. I've tried and I've tried and I've failed over and over and over again. Jesus says we need to pray for them. Pray for them. What I found is that it is impossible to harbor my ill feelings towards someone if I continually bring them to God. It's impossible for me to harbor these ill feelings anymore because I'm now starting to see them the way that God sees them. And we're, we're, this, we're on the same level. It doesn't matter how many times they've harmed me, how many times I've harmed them. We're, we're all God's children. And so as I pray for someone that's harmed me, I start shifting my perspective to, to see them through God's eyes. And they're always eyes of grace. They're always eyes that forgive quickly. Because if you think about it, God forgave us from so much. In fact, the Bible says this, that those have, that have been forgiven much love much. It's this realization of how much God has forgiven me from that helps me to love my enemies. It's really this, this realization of my imperfection helps me to love other people when they behave in imperfect ways towards me. Because I got to remember, I do that daily to God, and yet He's got forgiveness for me every single time. In order to keep a well tended heart, we've got to forgive quickly. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.